You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again. Welcome to episode three of Attaboy Clarence. Nice to see you all. We have listeners. This is crazy. I'm doing the Royal We again. I have listeners. This is weird. I was really expecting this to be kind of a niche thing, a niche podcast that no one would ever subscribe to or listen to. Maybe my friends would be polite and say, yeah, of course, yeah, we listen to it. It's okay. But no, 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 I actually have proper people listening to this. It's crazy. So hi to you all. Great. Hello. Just like to say thank you very much for recommending me and telling people and getting the word out. It seems to be working. So I'd just like to take the opportunity to buy you all an ice cream. So much Lon Chaney in my life this week. I've watched Son of Dracula, Weird Woman, The Frozen Ghost. For the record, I don't think I've ever seen a faker bat than in Son of Dracula. I don't know if any of you are Lon Chaney fans. I don't get it, to be honest. I think he's a good wolf man, but not a good Dracula. He's too big and too American and too sort of beefy, you know. He has a pencil moustache in this film. Man up, Lon. Hey, guess what? This is supposed to be an Irish accent. You know, once half the hump of Brazil I saw the ocean so darkened with blood it was black, and the sun fainting away over the lip of the sky. We put in at Fortaleza, but a few of us had lines out for a bit of idle fishing. It was me who had the first strike. A shark it was. Then there was another. And another shark again. I do feel sorry for the Irish in a way. The accent's always being mangled to pits, isn't it? Brad Pitt in the Devil's Own. Or how about this treat? What would I suggest, Your Honor? Oh, begorra. There's but one drink a gentleman like yourself should be after pouring down you. And that's the cream of Connemora. Whiskey that'll soften your heart and, and make you glow with a good feeling so so that the little people will be after visiting you. <laughs> it sounds delightful. Bring two glasses, will you? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. <laughs> I must say, I never heard an English barmaid go into such rhapsodies. Uh, yes, you have. Still, how about this one? This is meant to be Swedish. Oh, it's sad this had to happen. Sad for Catherine and sad for the people that love her. Canterbury. I'm now on Stitcher. Uh, there's another way to get the podcast if you want to. Go to the Stitcher app and search for Attaboy Clarence. And uh, we're there. Great, very pretty app, by the way. Very pretty, lovely. Love you, Stitcher. Um, I noticed there's a Blu-ray coming out this week. And it's called The Old Dark House Collection. Listen to this. On this one disc, uh, the following films. Uh, and Then There Were None, The Cat and the Canary, One Frightened Night, Topper Returns, House on Haunted Hill, uh, The Rogue's Tavern, Fog Island, The Black Raven, The Ghost Train, with Arthur Rasky, there you go. The Crooked Circle, Charlie Chan's Secret, The Ghoul, with Boris Karloff, The Gorilla, uh, great film. 
That's <laughs> a great film. Uh, Tangled Destinies, The Moonstone, The Monster Walks. Yes, we're still going. Bulldog Drummond's Secret Police. That is such a great film. <laughs> if you haven't seen any Bulldog Drummond films, start with Bulldog Drummond's Secret Police with Leo Joe Carroll as the bad. It's brilliant. There's a treasure hunt underneath Rockingham Lodge. Uh, there's murder, kidnapping, guns. It's really, really, really good one to start with. Um, the Door with Seven Locks, Murder by Invitation, The Ghost Walks, One Body Too Many, House of Mystery, The Thirteenth Guest, it's with Ginger Rogers, uh, The Bat, and The Terror. That is, I make that, 25 films, and it's on sale for $25. That's $1 a movie. I've done the calculation for you, put the Google down, that's £15 and 16p to anyone listening in the UK. That is a pretty good price for those films. I mean, it's worth it just to own. And then there were none. Topper Returns, House on Haunted Hill, The Ghoul, Charlie Chan's Secret, The Ghost Train, Bulldog Drummond's Secret Police. The, those seven are worth $25 alone, but you get another 18 films. Whether you like those ones or not is entirely to you. I, pretty weak, pretty creaky, I would say, some of them. But, you know, those seven films are fantastic. You should definitely get that. I won't usually do this as it's a modern film, but uh, About Time is also out next week. And if you haven't seen that, that's fantastic. Buy it. That is all. Well, what have I been watching this week? Well, I watched Horror Island, starring Dick Foran, which is uh, one of the universal horror films uh, made in the early 40s. Uh, I have to say, it was pretty hard going, actually. Only an hour long, but it felt way longer than that. It's about a guy who owns an island, finds out there's a buried treasure, doesn't believe it. So instead of that... He uh, sets up an excursion. People will pay him money to be able to come on a treasure excursion that he sets up with his friends. Uh, take a boat over there. There's a bad guy called the Phantom, who's actually a really good bad guy. Uh, he looks a bit like one of the Carradines. He's got like a really big chin, sort of black, floppy, brimmed hat with a black cloak. A bit sort of shadowish, you know, a bit like the shadow. Um, he pops up now and then, murders a few people, disappears into the night, you know, scurries away, flies around. There's a great scene when he comes into Peggy Moran's bedroom uh, and he's creeping towards the bed and his shadow sort of splays itself against the wall behind her. It's a really great shot, quite creepy. It's just a shame the rest of the film doesn't live up to it. It's really kind of creaky. It goes for humour. It doesn't quite hit the mark. There are so many more charming universal horror films around than this one. <laughs> it's worth a look, but don't start with it for goodness sake, or you'll never get to the really good films. Everything all set? Well, I think I got everything all set. Let's see. I got plaster skulls to put under the covers, copper coins for the five and ten store, Spanish beads, and a dozen maps positively fake. Ain't he a cutie? Yeah, he ought to give the customers a thrill. Customers? <laughs> That's a laugh. The only customers we've got is that one lady. He's going over to the island on the cuff. What's the matter? You losing faith in my million-dollar ideas? I got more faith in your $20,000 customer. Wait till the customers get a load of this. Treasure hunt. Bookkeeper finds fortune, why don't you? Finders keepers, don't delay, call today. Join our weekend excursion to Morgan's Island. $50 per person covers all expenses. Buried Treasure Incorporated, 227 Front Street. Bill, Bill Martin, Martin, General Manager. I've also watched Night Has a Thousand Eyes from 1948. 
uh, starring Edward G. Robinson and John Lund and Gail Russell. It's a fantastic film. This is a fantastic film. It's a supernatural thriller with sort of noir overtones, very shadowy, very moody. It's based on a book by Cornell Woolrich, and if you're familiar with his work, you'll know that the themes are kind of doomed resignation. Sort of, It's all about fate. It's about a guy called John Triton, who's a psychic in a show. He's a fake psychic, um, and he pretends to, to tell people's fortunes and, um, you know, sort of a parlor trick, really. Uh, one night, when he's on stage, he starts developing actual psychic powers and is able to see the fate and future of people that he meets. I was becoming more frightened every day. I began to have a crazy feeling that I was making the things come true. Like a voodoo sorcerer who kills people by sticking pins in the doll. I thought of the man with the broken collarbone, the boy with the matches. Would anything have happened to them if I'd kept quiet? And then one day, it was a rainy afternoon in Wichita, so I was leaving the theater for the hotel. The answer came. I can't really spoil it any more than that. I can tell you it's a fantastic film, and it's a real curio. It's directed by John Farrow, uh, Mia's father, who actually made a few great high-concept films. There was this one, there was The Big Clock with Ray Milland and Charles Lawton, which I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's basically set in a building. Ray Milland's trying to clear his name of a murder, um, and the clock's ticking all the time. It, in fact, the, the Kevin Costner film, No Way Out, was based on the big clocks, if you, if you sort of get the idea of what that film is. And also he did Alias Nick Beale, again with Ray Milland, about uh, a politician who's slowly corrupted uh, by the devil, uh, played by Ray Milland, who sort of trades power for his soul. It's very good. Uh, John Farrow, one of those directors that you really need to watch out for. But more on Night Has a Thousand Eyes later. Another real gem that I've gone back to this week. I haven't seen this film for quite a while, but um, I sat and watched The Devil Doll, starring Lionel Barrymore. If you haven't seen this film, you really need to go and take a look. It's one of these films. It's a real, real piece of work. It's billed as a horror. It's directed by Todd Browning, who directed Freaks and Dracula. And it's about a guy called Paul Levand, played by Lionel Barrymore. Uh, he's, he was framed by some crooked bankers for a crime he didn't, for a fraud and a murder that he didn't commit. He left behind a young daughter and his wife when he went to prison. The wife committed suicide and the daughter sort of dragged herself up and she's now this sort of 18, 19 year old played by Maureen O'Sullivan. Uh, Levon breaks out of prison, Devil's Island, with a mad scientist. This mad scientist, before he went to prison, was working on a formula to shrink people down to an eighth their normal size, or is it a sixth? It's definitely, well, you know, shrinks them down anyway because he's trying to solve world hunger problems. And obviously, you've got a field of potatoes and 20 men. If, if, if there are six their size, they're going to eat less potatoes, obviously. So anyway, the mad scientist dies. So Levon uses this formula to go to Paris and get his revenge on the three bankers. It's a fantastic film. You'd think, you know, oh, that sounds normal enough. There's one, there's one caveat. He dresses up as a woman to do this. I'll play you a clip. Don't be too alarmed, Radin. You're not dying. Oh, I see you recognize my voice. 
That's one of the few things that you and Coulvey and Matin didn't steal from me. Another is my hatred. Look at me and see what 17 years in the grave has done to me. No, Rata. Without my hatred, I never could have lived to exhume myself. What swine you three are. You're going to help me to recover what I can from life. That's why you're not going to die. No, I wouldn't let you die for the world, Redout. Now, it wouldn't be so bad if Lionel Barrymore looked in any way feminine. He just looks like a dude with a shawl on. And the voice isn't massively convincing. But it's actually a very good watch. It's very short. It doesn't outstay its welcome. There's some very effective scenes. The special effects are really good for their day. I wouldn't say it's particularly scary. The horror relies on the fact that these doll people that he creates are basically miniature assassins. If you find that idea scary, then maybe. But otherwise, it's more about mood and uh, and temperament. It's very, it's very good film. It's a very good film. It's actually surprisingly emotional as well. You get to the end and he has... Well, I won't spoil it for you, but it's actually more than a horror film. It's marketed as a horror film, but it's more than that. You should definitely check it out. Lastly, I've watched The Leopard Man. This was directed by Jacques Tourneur and produced by Val Luton. Uh, this is a phenomenally good film. I have put off watching The Leopard Man for such a long time. It just didn't really appeal to me. But I'm so glad I did this week. It's one of those rare films that when you watch it, you won't believe it was made 70 years ago. It feels creepy enough and scary enough to have been made recently. I really honestly think that this is the film you should show people if they don't believe that old films can be scary. It's about a nightclub promoter who's trying to promote his girlfriend Kiki's act. Uh, so he gives her a leopard to take on stage. But there's this rival act called Cloclo, who's a castanet player. And she scares the leopard away and it runs off into the town. Well, the whole town goes into lockdown uh, while the police are looking for this leopard. Then a young girl's killed in a genuinely disturbing scene where she's locked out of her house uh, by her mother and made to go and get cornmeal from a store on the other side of town. If your father comes home and there are no tortillas, he will shout. Tomorrow it will be all over town that the family of Juan Delgado is too poor to buy cornmeal. I know what she's afraid of. This. And what por todos los santos is this? The leopard, mamacita. They say a lady at El Pueblo had it on a string and it ran away. It hasn't been found yet. A leopard. They're big and they jump on you. Did you ever meet one of those things yet when you went to the store for me? Then you won't meet one this time either. Now get out. Do as I told you. Now, you will not come in again. Not till you bring the cornmeal with you. It's really quite a disturbing scene, especially the, uh, the climax of the scene. Let me in. Let me in now that I've spent half the night getting the cornmeal. It's coming. It's coming closer. I can see it. Just what she needs. Someone to nip at her heels and hurry her up. Ah! 
Wait, Teresa. I come. I will let you in. Only a moment, Teresa. Your mother is here. Your mother will let you in. It's a fantastically scary film, and the Luton's bus that uh, Val Luton and Jacques Tourneur created in Cat People, where the bus pulls up and hisses and, you know, you're expecting it to be the cat. Well, there is a variation on that in this. I won't spoil it for you. As the film goes on, more bodies begin piling up, and soon uh, the police and Jerry, the nightclub owner, begin to suspect that uh, the leopard might not be the killer in the town. There may be a man responsible for the killings. If it were a man, what kind of a man would kill like that? All those fancy courses were about the dead, Jerry, not the living. All right, the dead, then. In history, there must have been men like that, men with kinks in their brains. Yes, there have been men who killed for pleasure, strange pleasure. There was Bluebeard in France, Jack the Ripper in London. It's not uncommon. And if there were a man like that, with a kink in his brain running around loose, what would he be like? He'd be a hard man to find, Jerry, particularly if he were a clever man. He'd go about his ordinary business calmly, Except when the fit to kill was on him. You've thought about all this before. You know it isn't the leopard, don't you? What really sets this apart is that this was Hollywood's first attempt at portraying a serial killer on the screen. If you think about it, um, in every horror film or murder mystery that came uh, in the 30s or 40s, there was always this revenge idea. Like, there was always a reason for someone being killed. It might have been monetary gain. It might have been... Uh, because they were cheated on, or, or for love, or envy, or jealousy, or something like that. This is the first film where the killer killed because the thought of killing excited the killer. The thought of dead girls excited the killer, and it's quite a disturbing thought. There's some really fascinating imagery in the film as well. There's a scene towards the end where these hooded characters are leading a procession from this sleepy little Mexican border town across this wasteland. The heavens are like dark and cloudy and really foreboding. They're chanting, they're carrying candles, and it's there that they apprehend the killer. And the imagery of this is really genuinely nightmarish. If you haven't seen The Leopard Man, it would be so easy to dismiss it. But I urge you to take a look at it. It's a fantastic movie, and definitely one that you could probably show someone as an example of why black and white horror films from that era stand up to this day. Great radio play for you this week. Um, this is from the Screen Directors Playhouse. I've actually put a brief look at the Screen Directors Playhouse on the website attaboyclarence.com. If you want to get a fair idea of the production itself, then go to the website and take a look. This is one of the gems from Screen Directors Playhouse. This is one of the films I've mentioned earlier on today. It's Night Has a Thousand Eyes, starring Edward G. Robinson. It's only half an hour long, and it's a fantastic supernatural thriller. I hope you enjoy it. Screen Directors Guild Assignment... Production, Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Director, John Farrell. Star, Edward G. Robinson. The NBC Theater presents the Screen Directors Guild production of A Chronicle of Fear. Paramount's Night Has a Thousand Eyes with its original team of screen director John Farrow, screen star Edward G. Robinson, and William Demarest.
technical and artistic skills are the everyday instruments of the motion picture director, the very heart of his craft is fashioned from another sort of knowledge, the knowledge of the world in which he lives. And that can be gained only by living a life rich in experience. Such is the background of tonight's guest on the NBC Theater. A native Australian, he has been a seaman, soldier of fortune, adventurer at large, and has made an enduring mark as a scholarly writer of fiction and non-fiction. Here, then, is the director of many famous Paramount films, such as Wake Island, Two Years Before the Mast, The Big Clock, the soon-to-be-released alias Nick Beale, and tonight's story, Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Farrell. Night Has a Thousand Eyes is a story of the supernatural, but it is not a flight of fancy. Counterparts of the strange phenomena in tonight's story have been the subject of recent scientific study by some of our universities. Thus, through the medium of film, and now through the radio, we attempt to reveal a bizarre and a rather terrifying aspect of the strange, strange world in which we live. Now, for the first time on the air, here is Night Has a Thousand Eyes, starring Edward G. Robinson as John Triton, with William Demarest as Lieutenant Sean. <laughs> In the drawing room of a fine suburban home, a young man named Carson reads a strange manuscript while the company listens gravely and silently. My dear Carson, as you read this manuscript, I will be dead. No one is to blame. My death was as certain as all the other strange events I foresaw. Some of you who have seen me die will doubt, doubt this story and, and dismiss it as a series of contrived events and coincidences. But you, Carson, and some of the others will know that there are things on Earth still hidden from us, still secret and unfathomable. I suppose most men can look back and see the exact point where destiny touched them. My destiny came upon me on the night of August 3rd, 1929. I was billed as Triton, the mental wizard, like most mind-reading acts, it was a phony, but a first-class phony. Jenny, my lovely fiancé, had collected all the questions from the audience, and my good friend Whitney Cortland was ready for his part at the piano. Now, ladies and gentlemen, from where I stand, I shall endeavor to read the questions which you have written and which are now unopened, mind you, in that glass bowl. Now, if I may have a little quiet music, Mr. Cortland. Let me see. I sense a name, a lady's name, Brian, no, by, Byers, that's it, Byers, uh, Clara Byers. Miss Byers asks a question. She wishes to know, she, uh, she, something's wrong. There are disruptive impulses coming from the audience. A woman in a white dress, a little boy, uh, uh, madam, uh, you there in the third row. Your little boy's in great danger. You must go home at once. At once! Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We'll continue where we left off. If I may have some quiet music, Mr. Cortland. The incident disturbed me. But then I forgot about it entirely until late that night when the telephone rang in my room. It was the woman calling to tell me that she had come home to find the boy's room in flames. She had arrived just in time to save the child's life. And I was worried, deeply worried, although not yet frightened. There were other incidents, one of them brought on by Courtney's usual concern about our economic situation. Well, kids, it's the same old story. Broke again. We could stand a little ready cash. Matter of fact, I'm going to put our last ten spot on ready cash in the fifth at Green Meadows. Ready cash? No, no, uh, not ready cash. He'll fall and have to be destroyed. Pay again. Pay again by two lengths. Ready cash fell and had to be destroyed. Pay again, one by two lengths. It occurred to me that we might make fortunes this way. I didn't want to, it scared me. I began having a crazy feeling that by telling them, I was making the things come true. I began to wonder, would anything have happened if I'd kept quiet? And then one dismal rainy day, I had my chance to find out. I was coming out of the theater. A little boy recognized me and asked me for an autograph. And then he turned to skip away. Wait, son! I'd, I'd had a vision of a car skidding on the slick pavement. A wild cry. And then I thought, no, perhaps if I keep it to myself, it won't happen. Uh-oh, uh, not, nothing, son. <laughs> Just run along now, run along. He went. A moment later... After the boy's death, I knew I could foresee these events, but I was powerless to prevent their coming true. Look, Johnny, I just met a big oil man down in the lobby who wants us to come in on this, uh, this Comanche Hills oil field. Well, so what? Well, do you suppose you could get a hunch on a sporting proposition like that? Might make us a lot of money. Oh, no, no, it's no good, Court. We are washed up on hunches. Why, Johnny? Well, because I'm scared, Jenny, plain scared. I haven't had a very good feeling about it myself, Johnny. Well, all right. We'd better get down to the theater then and earn it the hard way. Curtain in 20 minutes. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, if you will all please concentrate on the sealed questions you have addressed to me, please. Uh, a little quiet music, Mr. Cortland. I'm concentrating on a particular envelope. A uh, young lady's handwriting. She, the young lady, the lady, uh... I looked at Jenny, stared at Jenny, so beautiful, so... so fragile and desirable and so much to me. I saw her and something else. Johnny. Bring down the curtain. Johnny, what's the matter? Bring down the curtain, I tell you. Bring down the curtain! Are you sure you feel better now, Johnny? Oh, sure, Jenny. I, 
I, I, I just felt a little dizzy out there. <laughs> you sure had us worried there for a while. Hmm. Oh, caught. Yeah? Had a sort of a minor hunch about that uh, Comanche Hills oil proposition. Be one of the richest oil pools in the country. Make us all rich. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, now let's go out and eat. No, uh, you and Jenny go ahead. I'll join you later. Maybe it was the wrong decision, but I went away. What I'd seen that night on the stage had been Jenny's death. If I stayed, we'd be married and there'd be a child. The child would live, but Jenny wouldn't. I had to go away to save Jenny's life and save my own sanity. I knew Cortland would take care of Jenny and Comanche Hills Oil would take care of both of them. Yes, but I knew I had to get away from people, especially the people I loved. I went away. It didn't work. A year later, I heard that Jenny had married Cortland. She died when her daughter Jean was born. I read about it in Variety. For 20 years, I lived almost a hermit's life and had no more visions. This gift or the curse seemed to with it from this use. And then after 20 years, on the night of Jean's debut, I stood outside in the crowd and I watched her go inside the fine hotel, holding tight to Court's arm. Jenny's daughter was lovely, and I was proud. I watched them disappear inside, and then after 20 years of peace, it happened. For a moment, I saw the image of wreckage, the smoking wreckage of an airplane, and then it was gone. What did it mean this time? But nothing happened. And I forgot about it completely for three months. And, and one day in my shop, I turned on a small radio I just repaired. And now the 11.55 news brought by your Comanche oil reporter. New York, flying his converted army bomber, Whitney Cortland, multimillionaire president of Comanche Oil, took off from LaGuardia Airport early today in an attempt to smash the east-west transcontinental record. He and his pilot, former army flyer Richard Sims... No! I was born Jean. Miss Cortland, I'm, I'm sorry to force my way in here, but I have an extremely important message for your father. I'm sorry, but my father isn't here now. Uh, see here, old man, I'm Miss Cortland's fiance. Miss Cortland... No, you've got to reach your father when he lands in Wichita to refuel. But why? You must halt the flight. Halt the flight? That's absurd. Why should Father give up his flight? But if flight? he doesn't, this plane will crash. How do you know that? Oh, Miss Cortland, please. You're, you're wasting priceless time. All right, I'll call. But I'll ask you a lot of questions afterwards. Uh, 
I want to talk to Wichita, Kansas Airport. I haven't the number. Do you make a practice of predicting plane crashes? Oh, no. I'll wait, thank you. Maybe just the planes of very rich men. Oh, please. Perhaps you're betting that he doesn't beat the record. Hello. Hello, this is Whitney Cortland's daughter. When my father lands, have him call me immediately, will you? What? Oh, no. radio had it a few minutes later. In an hour, the extras were on the street. The Comanche Angel had crashed in Kansas. Both men were dead. You've been very kind helping me over these past few days, Mr. Triton. I'm so grateful. Well, your father was my best friend. But if you'd only warned us sooner, if... If you'd only known sooner. I don't think it would have made any difference. Mr. Triton, what's wrong? You have a new maid. Why, yes, why? You have an emerald bracelet. Yes. Get rid of the maid before the bracelet. Before... What? Please, uh, tell me. Jean, it doesn't matter now. Why doesn't it matter? You mean, not to me? You mean, I won't need the bracelet? You, you mean, I, I'm going to die too? Tell me! Yes. When? Soon? When? Before the end of the week, at night, under the stars. Gene. NBC Theater is presenting the Screen Directors Guild production of Night Has a Thousand Eyes, starring Edward G. Robinson with William Demarest and introducing the director of the film, John Farrow. Remember, Carson, you went to the police. They told you, yes, there had been a John Triton mental wizard who pretended to be able to predict things back in the 20s. They sent a certain Detective Lieutenant Sean to investigate me where I was staying in Jean's house. My first interview with Sean in my little room under the eaves, far from reassure the good lieutenant, for even as I answered his bitter questions, the veil lifted again. And I saw. I saw. Hey, Triton, come out of it. Hey. I... I see a flower. Ah, drop it, Triton. Cut. A flower, crushed and broken. I hear a sudden wind shaking the windows. I hear a voice saying, there's no danger now. 
And I see her. Who? Jean. Lying under the stars. And, and beside her, the paws and talons of a... of a lion. A lion? Under the stars. Did you find out what time this happens to, uh, to Miss Cortland? Tonight, as the clock strikes 11. Lieutenant Sean was all for arresting me at once. The rest of you were tolerantly skeptical, which saved me for a while. Downstairs with Jean and you, Carson, were two gentlemen, a Mr. Gilman. Mr. Gilman, president of Mid-Tide Oil. Good evening, Mr. Triton. And a Mr. Myers, attorney for Cortland's estate. How do you do, Mr. Triton? Together, we sat down for the next two hours. Our lives were geared to the relentless machinery of the grandfather's clock that ticked away near the curtained archway. Frankly, I think this is ridiculous. Sitting around like this when we should be looking for a packet of missing options? I'm sure I'll find them, Mr. Myers. They'll be worth us in 36 hours. Gina, are you sure you can't remember where your father put those options? Please, Mr. Gilman. I'm much too upset. Well, the mid-tide merger can't go through without them. I suggest Jean be permitted to forget about big business while we all concentrate on... on... the clock, Mr. Carson. Shut up, frightened. Four. Five. Six. Seven, eight, nine, ten. One down. And one more hour to go. And so far, nothing has materialized in your weird chain of events. A crushed flower, indeed. A lion, a sudden wind. Anyone interested in the 10 o'clock news? Here. Personally, I'm interested in the 11 o'clock news. Which was upset in a collision tonight at Wilshire and Sepulveda. The lion escaped. When a trailer Lion. The Turn that off. Lion. Lock the doors. Lock the windows. Put out some lights. I'll lock up. I'll go through the whole house. Thanks, Gilman. Well, there's the lion. We haven't heard a wind or seen a crushed flower or heard anyone say... Don't say no... it. Oh, sorry. Hey, those carnations in that vase. Get them out. Carnations? Get them out. I don't believe any of this, but I'm taking no chance. I'll give you let them me take care of... Stand back. Don't anybody move. Ah, not a one crushed. That was a close one. Mr. Myers, huh? there's something sticking out under your foot. Something, huh? Lord. A carnation. Crushed and broken. That does it, Triton. No, not quite. Nothing final can happen until 11 o'clock. And it ain't going to happen because you're around. I'm taking you downtown until after 11. All right, Lieutenant, but it won't do any good. I'll be back at 11. Stand still, Triton. Relax. Yes, but I tell you, Sean, if you let me return to Jean's house, there's a chance I can use this power of mine to save her. You put on a good show, Triton. Only I ain't buying. Now, listen. You have a man on the cell here. His name is Amos Block. I see him in the cell now, a suicide. You don't say. Well, there's one I can check on. Hello. Quinn? Sean. How's Block doing? Uh-huh. Thanks. 
in his cell playing solitaire. Well, nevertheless, I see him in it. Now I'm going to leave you with the boys here and go back to Miss Cortland's. Be good, huh? Fifteen minutes, too, Jane. Yes. Yeah, everything is under control. It's uh, very copacetic. Ah! Oh, dear. Close that French window. Close it. I'll close it, Lieutenant. I thought Gilman took care of that. Where is Gilman, by the way? There. That does it all right. Sudden wind. Yeah. Ah! I'll get it. Yeah? Oh, yeah, Quinn. No. Amos Block hung himself in his cell, but he can't do that. That's suicide. Hey, look, I want Triton here before it strikes 11. I don't care how, but get him here. What time is it? Uh, 10.47. Oh, Lord, you made the night too long. One more minute to go, darling. 45 seconds. <gasps> oh. oh, Mr. Myers. Well, folks, you can forget the lion. They just killed it over at Vestron Hospital. Oh, thank goodness. This is it, 11 o'clock. Elliot. Yeah? Back to back with me. Miss Cortland, get between us. Don't anybody move. I'll shoot the man who does. That's it, folks. It's all over. Nothing's happened. Oh, Elliot. Elliot, darling. It's all history now, dear. Forget it. Elliot. Hmm? I'm, I'm going outside. I'll go with you. No. I want to get used to standing out under the stars again. Alone. And not being afraid. Thank you, dear. Thank you so much, all of you. I'll say this for Triton. He sure called his shots except that voice saying, there's no danger now. You just said it. Yeah, but it's too late now to mean anything. Ain't it? Sean. Come in, Professor, come in. Where is she? Where's Miss Cortland? Outside. You let her go outside? It's after 11. No, it's not. Look at that clock. That clock is wrong. It was right. Well, then it's been tampered with. I've got to go to her. Stop, Triton. Haul her out, shoot. It's too late for that after him. He mustn't get near Gene. Eight. Nine. Ten. 
Eleven. That's right. Eleven o'clock, Miss Courtney. <gasps> oh. oh, Mr. Gilman. Your troubles are over now. There's no danger now. Eleven o'clock. And a voice saying, there's no danger. <gasps> he must have met you. Oh, no, you don't. No, please. Let go of her, you fool! Hey, Sean! Right! Get him! Plugged him, but good. Gene, Gene, are you all right? Oh, Elliot. It's all right, Gene. You're safe now. Triton's dead. Triton? Dead? But it was Gilman who tried to kill me. Gilman, he didn't want those options found. But I didn't think he'd resort to murder. Oh, poor Mr. Gilman. He died to save me. But are you all right? My throat hurts. Elliot, hmm? look. Mr. Triton. He's, he's resting against the foot of that... that marble lion. Marble lion. Of course. And that, Carson, ends this dark diary. I foresaw everything, even my own death. And tonight at headquarters, I finished this diary. I left it in my pocket for you to find. Only time and the expanding wisdom of mankind confirm the story in years to come. For there are reaches of the mind still undreamed of, and there are many mysteries of time and space and spirit to be shown to us. The stars look down. The night has a thousand eyes to search the soul of man and see if he's equal to his fathomless tomorrows. Where there are yet more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in our philosophy. In a moment, we'll return with our stars. Next week, the NBC Theater brings you another first in radio, a full-hour production of director Billy Wilder's great Paramount film comedy, A Foreign Affair. And starring in this hour-long drama will be Rosalind Russell, Marlena Dietrich, and John Lund. And now, here again are tonight's stars, Edward G. Robinson and William Demarest, and screen director John Farrell. John, it's been great fun for Bill and me, slipping back into character for our parts. Night has a thousand eyes. Well, I just hope Bill here doesn't start having one of his visions again. What, you mean uh, cool, solid Bill Demarest is in tune with the supernatural? He thought he was. No, no, wait a minute. I know what you're talking about, and I really did have a vision. Yeah? I was standing talking to Johnny on the set, and suddenly I knew one of the camera booms was swinging around behind us. What happened? He yelled, Johnny, fall on your face. Well, did you get hurt? My nose was almost broken. By the camera boom? No, by falling on my face. <laughs> there wasn't a camera within 50 yards. <laughs> well, I had a vision. Well, we don't have to be visionaries, John, to know that your direction inspired Bill and myself and everyone else connected with the picture. You did a great job. Check, Eddie. That goes for me, too. Thanks very much. But suddenly I seem to be getting a vision myself. What do you see? 
I see us being cut off the air if we don't say good night. <laughs> good night, everyone. Good, good night, night, folks. And good night to you, Edward G. Robinson, William Damarest, and John Farrell. Night Has a Thousand Eyes was adapted by Milton Geiger from an original story by Cornell Walry. Music was by Henry Russell. Production was supervised by Howard Wiley. Associate producer, Bill Carr. Your announcer has been Frank Barton. Night Has a Thousand Eyes was presented through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, currently releasing My One True Love, starring Phyllis Calvert, Melvin Douglas, and Wanda Hendricks. Edward G. Robinson is currently making the 20th Century Fox production, The House of Strangers. William Demarest may be seen in Paramount's Technicolor production, Whispering Smith. Listen again next week for the NBC Theater's full-hour presentation of... Screen Directors Guild Assignment, production of Foreign Affair, director Billy Wilder, stars Rosalind Russell, Marlena Dietrich, John Lund. The Screen Directors Guild program came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was Night Has a Thousand Eyes from the Screen Directors Playhouse, starring Edward G. Robinson and directed by John Farrow. So this week on the website, I have reviewed Horror Island, Night Has a Thousand Eyes, The Leopard Man, and The Devil Doll, as well as a brief look at the Screen Directors Playhouse. Next week's reviews include The Frozen Ghost, starring Lon Chaney. Can't wait to spend my life writing that one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for recommending. Uh, you can contact me at adam at attaboyclarence.com. You can follow me on Twitter at, at attaboyc. And you can go to the website, attaboyclarence.com, for reviews, features, radio, or just to bump up my stats. That'd be fantastic, too. Anyway, have a great week. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.